I don't really think about obstacles. I think about, okay, well, this is where you are. And just honoring that space and saying, you will, with time, move on beyond that. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 88. Today, I have another runner turned triathlete. Miss Stacy Winters graduated from the University of Pittsburgh with a bachelor's in psychology. She received her master's of education in psychological counseling from Howard University, another HBCU. Stacy received her bachelor's of nursing from John Hopkins University, her master's of nursing by Drexel University in Philadelphia. She is a certified adult gerontology nurse practitioner. She's also a certified health coach. Stacy's running career started about 30 years ago. She's participated in countless 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, and 50Ks. Due to peer pressure, which I've heard from a number of guests, in the multi-sport community, she started doing duathlons and triathlons. She took her first swimming lesson at age 45, so it's never too late. She's won several age group awards, and she always considers herself a happy athlete. Her philosophy is that endurance sports are for everyone. She is a member of several tri-groups, such as mid Maryland Triathlon Club Bike. She is a member of several groups, including Fast Chick, Black Triathlon Association, Mid Maryland Triathlon Club. She enjoys volunteering and has served as a marathon coach. She's volunteered with several organizations. She's been a medical volunteer at Ironman Maryland, amongst numerous other activities. She has a passion for the sport. And she does what she can in all endeavors. Unfortunately, she was in a cycling accident about a year ago. And her recovery continues. So welcome, Stacy Winters, to the show. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, We. It's been a pleasure. I've been following you for a long time. So thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks for accepting my invitation. <laughs> Just looking at your bio, you have an impressive background in a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in psychology, a BSN, a nursing, nurse practitioner. Where'd you get that driving determination to succeed in your profession? I am curious. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's who I am. I'm going, I'm a consummate learner. And so um, my first career path was in psychology. It was wonderful. I enjoy doing that. I still use it every day in practice. You know, every patient is a psych patient, which means if we look at people holistically, 
we have to really honor the mental health aspect as well as the physical aspect. And that's something that really drove me. I moved from the mental health arena into the medical arena, practitioner school. And I find myself that makes me a better practitioner. I am doing that now and I will continue to learn and evolve and we'll see what comes next. Do you think your background in psychology and medicine helps you in your athletic endeavors from the anatomy, just the psychology, because a lot of it's racing is psychological, you know? Right. I actually think the mental aspect is probably more important looking at it now, looking backward. In the running community, I think since 1993, so it's been a while. (laughs) You know, and of course, as a younger athlete, um, it was very physical. But of course, as you move from, you know, the 5K, 10K distance race and you really distances and you want to move into the longer distances, whether that's 10 mile, half marathon, marathon, ultra marathon, which was pretty much my life in up until, I will say recent. So up till 2000, maybe 14, when I started doing cycling, endurance cycling, and then of course, triathlon, um, really is more about mental, at least for me. I mean, the physicality I had, but it's making those mental shifts and being more patient with yourself and your progress. So really being able to keep your mental game together is key. It's something I don't think we talk enough about in endurance sports. We talk a lot about training, training, training um, for the physical aspect, but really it's making sure you have good balance. Your mental game uh, is strong because it doesn't matter how much you train from a physical standpoint, if you're not mentally ready, well, it will be very difficult for you to maybe accomplish your goal. So you have to be able to make those mental shifts very well. And that applies in life as well. That's true. That's true. So, I always say sports imitates life. This is true. So why do you think that is? Is where most people focus on, say, the training or trying to, say, PR or kill every workout and don't put a lot of time into some of the mental preparations of things. I can tell you my own personal, in terms of why I think people don't do it. I don't think as athletes we put enough, in, we not, we put enough emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about training, I mean, and, and we've been around the endurance community uh, ourselves and probably many of your listeners, we listen to people talk about training as, of course, swim, bike, run, nutrition. We don't spend a lot of time talking about mental health. It's kind of like the last bastion, you know, and so I think we do not only from a general health standpoint, but from a sports community standpoint, we really, I think it's now people are really starting to talk more about the mental aspects of training and racing. And oftentimes when you see people who are very successful in the sport uh, or very accomplished in the sport, mm-hmm. one thing they, they oftentimes talk about is what changed for them is putting a little more emphasis into their mental aspect of training as well. That's just a Stacey opinion. I'm not, like I said, I'm not an expert in that, but I do see a shift in in endurance sports moving towards really talking about mental health and mental wellness. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned you started running in 1993. Is that correct? I did. So what made you start? That's a great question. I was prepared for that. (laughs) 
So, you know, at that time, I was a younger person. (laughs) I am now a middle-aged person. And I actually started running to lose weight, very depressed. So for me, when um, your podcast started and your book, because I remember when your book came out, I thought, oh, what a wonderful title, because that really was my story. I was a very overweight, um, depressed adolescent and young college person. And I was way over 200 pounds. So I grew up overweight. Like I grew up as a kid who was, their BMI was high. It was in the highest growth chart in my whole life. Um, I grew up in a family with obesity. Unfortunately, my, my dad passed away at 58. So I saw what having, carrying all that weight around, not only to, to your physical being, but your mental being. And really made a conscientious decision to make a life change. And so for me, it was, I need to find something that I can do on my own that is not based on equipment. Mm -hmm. And I lived in inner city Philadelphia, so I didn't really have access to a lot of things at the time. Mm -hmm. And I also was working in social service, so it couldn't be too expensive. (laughs) Um, So running became my therapy. And, And I slowly learn how to run from one city block to another nonstop to I really started timing myself and say, there really wasn't a big running community at that time. So I, you know, I think I entered my first 5k and I think F links, if they look me back, (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was 90, 92 ish was a a breast cancer 5k in, in Philadelphia. So how did you train for your 5K since you said they really wasn't a big community? What did did you just kind of Google something to kind no, of? No, she invited me to run. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Said, you can do it. You can do it. And um, we finished. She said the goal is 30, under 30 minutes. And I was like, okay. And I think I lost over 70 pounds. And how about, long did it take you to lose? About eight months. Okay, okay. And I ran my first 5K under 30 minutes. I think it was like 29 minutes and 15 seconds. That's great for your first 5K. The first 5K. And then I was like, whoa, this is pretty good. So you caught the bug after the first 5K? (laughs) I like the feeling of accomplishment, of knowing that I have, you know, self-efficacy. And if I want to do this, I can train, which I knew nothing about. And I can do this distance is available to me. And then I learned that other distances were available to me. And then I believe in 95, I did my first half marathon. It was uh, Washington, DC and the half marathon here. And then in 97, I did my first Marine Corps. And so I I went and did like five in a row um, after that. So how did you progress with the training from the the 5K to the, did you just, did you get with a group eventually? At the time I was doing everything on my own. I, you know, I was a subscriber to Runner's World. (laughs) And then eventually for the marathon training, I did join a running club locally. And that's, I learned a lot. But I had no, like, I mean, I, I was like, what am I doing? Yeah, how'd you learn about the, the shoes? Because that was my first rude awakening. I was like, hmm, I think I was, I think I ran, I was training for a 10 miler and I did eight miles and my feet were like, and I went to run a store and I was like, I just got these shoes, you know, at some, on some sales. Like, first of all, these aren't running shoes. 
out there and that, you know, one thing I think, and I'm sure, you know, you can talk a little more specifically from an orthopedic standpoint, but what people don't know is that when you start running, your feet can grow in size, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I had no, I had no idea. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately, I think I went to some you know, regular old store and bought sneakers that were the size that I was wearing in dress shoes. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> so, of course, when I, there's all these, you know, nuances to the running world. And then when I went to a running club and then sneaker store specific to runners, they measured my shoe size. Like, oh my gosh, what happened? She was too small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it changed my running. You know, it was a big difference. Um, I went from, I think, a five marathoner to a Three fifty six. Wow! Yeah, big difference. The shoes, man. <laughs> Put you in a, a shoe commercial with that one. Like <laughs> yes, but it, it prevented me from injury. So, which of course made me better. It made me to be able to practice. More. Yeah, and, it's, and when you your feet hurt, it's it's hard to run. If you have some comfortable shoe, I mean, comfortable and supportive, depending on you know your feet, it's a big difference. Such a big difference. Yeah, nothing will overcome her feet. <laughs> so you progressed. How many marathons have you run? Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> I actually stopped running marathons in 2006. I said, that's it. Okay. And part of it was the training. I, I just decided if I could not dedicate the amount of training I wanted to do to it, I'm going to switch to the half marathon, which very happy about and I started doing really well um, at that and I it's when I started cycling so I really cut down on the running in 2006 and I started riding and at the time there was a local Maryland I live in the, the DMV in the Washington DC area and there was a local small online community called Tri Unify. Tri Unify okay. And it was endurance uh, endurance athletes of color. And I met um, some wonderful players. I'm sure you may know some of them. And they were inspiring, motivating, encouraging, and saying, hey, look, you can do this. This is something you can. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and then I eventually started cycling more. And many of those folks are my friends still. So it's been a long time and encouraged me to do, you know, more cycling and actually improve my running. So I did more cycling and became a better cyclist. And then of course, they were like, if you can, you know, this is how we do, right? Yeah, they get you in steadily. They get you in, pull you in slowly. (laughs) Listen, you got me out here, right? Metrics, miles and Mm -hmm. Now I'm doing century rides, and um, and then I think it was around 2012 ish, 2013. Like, come on, you can do. And I re- I resisted. I said, oh, look, I grew up in inner city Philadelphia. Never learned to swim. Mm-hmm. The swimming pools just around me. I don't know how to swim. Okay, I will be. I will do duathlon. It had to be like 2013. 13. Okay. So I did that for a number of years um, and actually did quite well and enjoyed it because, you know, I had to do my love when I got to run and then bike, then run again. So I was like, oh, the running thing is great. You know, you can learn to swim. And I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> um, 
this group talked you into learning to swim? Yeah. So eventually Try Unify started to blend into many of the members are now in BTA. So nice to see that. And so the support, of course, grew as the, the triathlon community grew as well. And and it was nice to see because it was, it, you didn't feel like an oddity of being an older adult, you know, you didn't learn to swim as a kid. And so I did. I mean, I literally had to stop running for a year mm-hmm. to learn just the basics of swimming because it, it took so much for me to learn. But I was 45 at the time. Mm-hmm. So you took swimming with someone like a triathlon coach? An older woman in my community who actually trains children up to the junior Olympic level. Oh, okay. And she saw me every day come and want to swim, but I was afraid, you know, I just was afraid. I I didn't know any, it was like walking into a foreign culture. It's something I knew nothing about anything when it came to swimming, Um, but she knew I had great endurance. Okay. That helps. um, Yeah. And I was motivated. So, you know, I twice like I have these small goals. (laughs) One is, just kind of survival swim, you know? So I practiced. I mean, I practiced for a whole year. So how often did you swim? Like how many days a week? I swam every other day. Wow. So wow. Every other day. So you were really committed because I don't think I've ever swam that much. Every other day for a year, because for me, it was about exposure. You know, I, you know, it's like running, you know how to breathe naturally running. Yeah, and you can stop and walk. If you can't swim, you unless it's shallow, you can't. <laughs> but, you know. The water is a new environment. It's not an environment. So the we worked on exposure therapy. It was, I don't care how much you are here, but you need to be here every other day so that it becomes routine to you. Don't panic. You know, we have to like really kind of try to extinguish that. So we really didn't really focus on swimming uh, for the first couple months, we focused on just constant exposure, getting it, trying to reduce that mammalian reflex of, you know, flat, you know, every time you get in. And that helped so that when I started to learn how to swim, kind of already had one thing um, that I didn't, I wasn't working on everything at the same time. Yeah, because it can be a little overwhelming because swimming, it's, it's still <laughs> it's so technical though and even if you basic like you basically can swim but to get to the point where you're proficient it's so technical and if you like try to correct 10 things at once you're gonna be like okay i'm supposed to do this both do that i'm right. like you'd be like I breathe I breathe at the same time like, it can be a lot and then add open water to it so how was your progression from like swimming in the pool after you get to the point see for me, I, I learned how to swim as an adult too, you know, I took lessons as a child, but I really didn't learn. Getting over the fact that, you know, when you go from the shallow to the deep, that used to freak me out every time. I got over that and, I, you know, I got, I could swim comfortably in the pool, but open water, and it depends on the type of open water. I still now have, still have some anxiety. Like, what was your experience? So I really became, I think, a proficient swimmer. I'm not a great and all because I really don't float well. And, but I did a lot of pool triathlons. And okay, I, okay. When you first I, started, okay. When I first started. Um, so 2005, I did. That was your first? Yes, pool triathlons. I was doing relays. Okay. okay, I was okay. a relay person. Um, so I got exposure to the triathlon community 
by being a relay participant, which I really encourage people to do. It's a wonderful way to get into the sport. Um, that way you really can focus on one thing, but you can still be there with everyone else. So I was the runner oftentimes for re- relays. And then I would um, do sprint, you know, the little small sprints, pool sprints. And I did those. And then 2016, I did my first open water. So I was kind of crazy because I did my first open water event mm-hmm. in June of 2006. And then I did my first open water sprint in July. And then I did my first Olympic in August <laughs> at the Chicago try. And it was, so three months, I went from doing open water swim event to a sprint try open water to the Olympic at Lake Michigan and Chicago try in 2016. And, and then I was like, okay, you go girl. So I, I kind of ramped it up. So tell me about your first the sprint in the open water and what that experience was as far as racing. Cause just sometimes swimming open water is different from all the people. Right. So the, the, I want to backtrack to the, the swim only event because that came first. The swim only event was great. It was a good experience because it's an event. It's not a race, right? So one thing I learned very quickly is besides open water swimming in terms of practice, doing a swim only event gives you an idea of what it's like to swim with a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Right? So that was something that was something I was concerned about. And of course I did it. I Came in last. <laughs> My first race, I was the very last person out the water. <laughs> um, but I'll say that because I, I think people are really self-conscious about, well, what if I come in last? You know, and I'm like, you know, I here and, and I am very humble about all of that because I know what it feels like to be. I went from somebody being a, in a sport I was very good at, at running to going to something I was pretty good at, like multi-sport doing duathlon, to something that I sucked at, right? So there's a lot of humility in in that process and being able to say, you know, I now have to be a kindergartner in something, right? So yeah, it is a humbling experience. It's very humbling. So I remember going and you know, of course the tri community is everywhere, right? So, you know, I bump into people I know and um, I said, well, I'm graciously going to put myself in the back. And I, I finished and the race director was awesome and congratulated me. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. So when I did my sprint try the next month, I opted for the wetsuit, wetsuit option mm-hmm. because I'm still nervous in the water. And I didn't care about racing. I wanted to get to the water um, without having to focus so much on that. So I think, remember, this is different. This is not just a swim event. You still have to do the bike and you still have to do the run. So you only have so much energy you have to decide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if this means they'll still let you do the event and you have a wetsuit option, take it. So some wise season triathlete told me, if they give you the wetsuit option, take it. So I did. And I had a great time. I just said, okay, this is what this feels like. So and then I went on to do um, Chicago, which was, of course, a mile swim. Tell me about your experience in 
Lake Michigan and the Chicago Trail. So that was my first Olympic distance. So, well, yeah, it was my first Olympic triathlon, period. And then, of course, being in Lake Michigan, so the water is very different there as it is here. It's like nice and warm in August. It's, I think it was like 68, 67 degrees there. So wetsuit legal. Um, I swam in the charity way at the time because I, I felt like, you know what, I got so much support from them. And for me, the sport is very much about my presence. It's like, I want younger people. And I remember taking the time to stop and talk with some young kids when I was running up and saying, you know, you can do this, you know. And for me, that's what sport is about, um, making sure people who see you know that, you know, you, this sport is available to you. So I was very proud to be in that wave with that charity and as a member. And so, yeah, so there I was, you know, in the charity wave and uh, the swim, we can focus on the swim, we could focus on the event. The event was amazing. The swim was daunting, right? you know, because charity wave, if, for people, the listeners who don't know, charity waves go first. So then all the age groupers come behind it. So they generously give us a little more time. However, these people are coming after you, right? So get swam over <laughs> and uh, there's bats right so you have to be ready for that but luckily I had my trusty sweatsuit on so I just swam over <laughs> I was prepared for that so I just kind of held my breath and went under as they came on um, but it was an amazing event I go puts on one of probably one of the best inner city triathlons I've ever seen so I Went back several times after that and not always successful, but I keep coming back. So I'm going to be back next year. We'll come see. back next year. A Bernard, you know, Bernard Lyles, this is his 70th birthday. So everybody's saying they're doing a triple challenge for his birthday next year. So should be a lot of people here. Um, yeah, Lake Michigan is, is weird because sometimes it could be just as, you know, calm as glass. And then sometimes it's like the ocean, white caps. It's never the same. That's good training, but it's a lot. In season five, we will continue the segment as the dog. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal health, please email me, send me a message via social media, or click on my website and leave an audio message. Select messages will be answered on the segment. What are your goals as far as multi-sports now? What are your goals? Uh, my goal is to get back into multi-sports. Uh, my goals are small now. <laughs> uh, and, and part of that is because I was injured. You know, last year I was training for a half Ironman. So that was my goal uh, last year. So 2021, I trained. What race were you training for? Um, Ironman uh, 70.3 Atlantic City. Atlantic, okay. So I trained all year. I had been very successful hitting all of my goals for the year. Um, I mean, I was really on goal to really complete the, the Ironman pretty much with no problems because of the feedback I had received in training. I was being trained by a coach. Okay. You had a try coach and a swim coach, or you just gave up this after you learned how to swim? You that one coach? Well, I still took open water coaching, private coaching. Okay, okay, okay. 
And then I, my triathlon coach um, was primary cycling coach. But that's because that's was became one of my weaknesses. So um, I had become proficient enough at swimming and running was something I chose I would self-coach because I had self-coached my entire life with running and had no problems. I know how to do that well. And I actually was a running coach for a number of years for some uh, local race organizations. So I, and I know how to do that. I am a certified health coach and and I was a running coach and personal trainer for a while. So Mm -hmm. I know how to do that, but I knew from the cycling standpoint, most of triathlon is cycling. Most of your time is on the bike. So I chose to get a coach to help me get from the swim to the sneakers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. To these sneakers, right? So that's always the goal. And so, pretty much, I had I was on. You know, my my race day was uh, was September tenth, twenty twenty one, last year, and September eleventh. So I had postponed my Atlantic City because I didn't feel ready and planned on doing half Ironman Watermans instead. And so I had put it off three more weeks and that would have been local in Maryland, but my coach was going to be there. So I had some more cycling time. Um, so September 11th last year, I was in a bike accident. So I was riding my bike, finishing up my 50 mile training ride. Mm-hmm. And it was unfortunate, the whole event, but you know, really due to passerby's negligence without having their dog on a leash, they had this like 150, 180 pound rock weller off a leech mm-hmm. and the dog knocked me off my bike. Oh no. So, yeah. So uh, with that said, I had total arm was torn off, comminuted fracture, the elbow, radius and humerus. Mm-hmm. So you had like three separate oh, fractures. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole arm was somewhere over here. <laughs> Yeah, so our arm off. Um, How many surgeries did you have to have in order to? Um... Three consecutive surgeries. Okay. So that was September 11th uh, up till November. I was in and out of surgery. Are you right-handed? I am. So after your accident, like, how did you feel? I know um, just about your, your race was canceled, your arm was broken, you had multiple surgeries. Like, how did you deal with that? Mentally. So for me, you know, it was no longer about the race. Mm-hmm. It was about being well, like find who are you outside of this, right? So, you know, I am, I will just share that, you know, after my initial fall, mm-hmm. there's a couple things that I have to share on the, before I share that. Okay. So that the one thing is I fell. In an area, and people have to keep in mind the context. This is 2021. We're still in COVID, right? So I was out in a western part of Maryland, and the local hospital was on COVID alert. They could not see me. They had to take me to a hospital that was 100 miles away in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And I say that for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. When I got there, let's just say they didn't want to treat me. And so uh, they did not do what I would consider evidence-based practice right. medicine. Right. The standard of care. Yeah. Standard of care, right? I'm there 
They would not give me pain medicine. They did not give me antibiotics. I had to beg them. I could not be a patient. I actually had to be my own patient. So you had an open, you're like, well, open fracture too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, mind you, I have all this. I'm holding my arm together trying to tell them I'm not a drug addict. (laughs) Yeah, like I have a fracture. My arm is like a flail arm. Um, yeah, I need literally my arm is off. Like literally, I'm holding the arm together, and I have to convince them that I'm not a drug addict. And I do. You see me in running, uh, racing clothes, cycling clothes that have been cut apart to try to keep me together, and they don't. So you know, I say all of this is because. There's so many things that come out of that experience, right? So, you know, one of the things that has come out of this experience is for me to, I actually went ahead and wrote an entire CME for my health organization on health disparities in medicine and really talked about, you know, what does this look like if you're an African-American female going to a hospital and asking for pain medicine, right? What does that look like? You know, how many of us have biases that keep us from honoring our patients' requests, right? So, and really using my own personal story that, you know, I'm aware of all these things, but I'm now on the other side of this and experiencing this. And then their lack of standard of care almost cost me to lose my arm. Because you got infection? Um, because I got infection. We know the statistics of African-Americans are about triple the time, uh, have triple the rate of losing their, uh, becoming, having an amputation where they don't need it um, because just a lack of standard of care. So um, I, I say that because when I finally, you know, got myself to my hospital center where I am. So how long did it take you to get, like after you went to this hospital? 24 hours. You were like two days from your injury in, in by the time you got to the hospital or no? Right. So literally, I think it was like 36 hours because by the time I, I got myself and, and I'm grateful for, you know, I'm, but I'm grateful and I'm lucky because I have, I have uh, wonderful friends who also are doctors and I've I have access. So I have privilege that yeah, other, the other people might not have. They could have might just went home and, and their arm might've been amputated and it, put on my, my doctor, because I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and open fractures, that's an emergency. And you don't have to fix it, right? But you have to at least wash it out and give people antibiotics. That's the standard of care for people who may not know. That's just basic medicine. And, and any, if the doctor has any orthopedic, they should have been called in and you should have had it. Yes, and there was no one there. There was no one there. And after seeing their treatment of me in the emergency room, I'm like, I need to get out of here. And so I say that because I'm going to answer your question. I appreciate because I didn't know this aspect. Yeah, I think it's an important piece of this, especially for making sure athletes have access to people who know what should be happening to you if you have an injury, right? So there's there's a lot of conversations to be mm-hmm. had. True, and being an advocate for your own health. Exactly. Right. So I am fortunate. Like I said, I have orthopedic friends I have. So I was able to make a phone call to one or two phone calls. And immediately it was just like, okay, we got you. But not many people even know what to do. So 
again, once I made a couple phone calls, I was able to go right into surgery. And, you know, initially they did all the things they were supposed to do that should have happened the first time. And the subsequent surgeries were really for repair. And then fortunately repair didn't take. And so that was the concern that Mm -hmm. we have to see if we can save your arm. So I say all of that because this has been a gratitude walk, right? So you know, as soon as I had the first surgery, uh, the chaplain came in and she's like, oh, you look so good. And, and I said, you know, I'm here. You right? do. So, and even when you were posting about your experience, you have the best attitude. Because I think initially, because I know me, I would have been mad because this actually didn't have to happen, particularly with the dog and the leash. I would just, but you would just had the best outlook and attitude. You're an example for other people. Thank you. (laughs) But that's how I felt. I'm here. Maybe this was supposed to happen and I'm supposed to be the conduit to kind of tell this story, to make, to create a better access to information and, and use this experience to ensure that people understand that they advocate for themselves. And yeah, I'm injured, right? But, you know, I'm grateful. I live in a time where they have bionics, <laughs> where they can put my arm back together. Mm-hmm. And luckily, my initial surgeon went to HBCU. He saw me. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I looked at him and I said, look, you know what happened? Because I had to give a narrative about what happened before. And he just said, you know what, we will take care of you. Having that comfort mm-hmm. and having to look at someone who understands your story and no words need to be said further mm-hmm. gave me comfort and healing. But really, it's the story's bigger than me. You know, I'm grateful for this platform. I, I try to use social media in such a way to inform, engage, and, and ensure that people know that there, you know, people are listening. People, You have people, you have resources out there. You know, somebody you can call to at least maybe walk you through something or give you access to someone else if something should happen to you. So really, you know, what comes next for me is really talking more. You know, I'm a year out from now, just a year out, not in 2022. Um, and I'm still healing. So I, I'm, I have to be honest about that. The healing process has taken a little bit longer than we like. So of course, my, my orthopedics are the moon excited about all I have done during the healing process. And um, I'm st- I still have chronic pain. So uh, even though, you know, I, I may look good, <laughs> I do live with a level of chronic pain. And, and that's something I'm working through. That's only because I still have a lot of nerve damage. So the nerves are still regenerating. Um, and part of that is because I have a lot of metal in my arm. So uh, then the save some of the nerves, they have to put them on top of the metal. So there, it's a lot of pain going on there. So um, but the the hope is that in a maybe a couple more months or so, some of that will resolve. And so, I like I said, I'm grateful for everything I have done. I try to just say, you know, I use all of my being that I can at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Are you able to do any type of like training? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm doing things, you know, like I, uh, and I, I kind of documented some of that on Facebook. I think four or five months out, I, uh, so my last, so I think it was five months post-op, mm-hmm. I did a 5K, right? <laughs> Which was big for me. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, six months out, I did a super sprint, right? Which I thought would take me out. <laughs> Which but you did it. It's humbling, right? Going from somebody who used to do like, you know. Yeah, because you were training for a half Ironman. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and then I'm like, I'm doing a super sprint. I'm ready to go home, be on the couch for the rest of the day. Right. So I did that in June of this year. And then in July of this year, I was at Williamsburg. Right. So I was at Williamsburg and I did 10K relay. I came in third. Right. So I definitely group effort. And then um, last month, I in August, I ran a 10K. I'm gonna, sorry, a 10 miler, 10 miler as part of a, a medical volunteer. So I ran the, the 10 mile port course of a uh, Annapolis 10 miler. So I, I and then in the Labor Day, I actually rode 33 miles on my bike. So so I I'm able to be active. And it's kind of what I say to, to friends. I, there's a difference between rehab, exercise, training, and racing. So I'm at the rehab exercise part, not really at the training and racing. And a lot of that is the mental and physical aspects. I'm definitely not able to negotiate a lot of the strategic and other stuff that goes on with training really intensely and racing because I just don't have the physical stamina. I still, you know, believe it or not, it takes a long time to heal. It does. Yeah. I can relate because I've had a lot of injury. My last surgery was in April and the mental aspect is hard because you want to go back to where you were before and sometimes you compare yourself to your old self. And I find that what you mentioned, find that gratitude helps because I say last month I couldn't walk and now I, I can run, but I might not can run the way I did before, but I'm going to thank God that I can do this because, and you just think about life in racing. So I love racing. You see people out there who may be say a hundred or just in, in worse shape than you think you are. And they're out there doing it. So it's like, I need to be grateful that I can do this because some people can't. They can't do it at all. So even though I might not be the way I was before, I'm thankful that I can do something. It changes your approach and your outlook to raising life too. The stuff happens. Absolutely. It's what I, I tell even my patients. I go, with age comes grace, right? So, and I, you know, I now have to fully practice that because, you know, I, you know, I used to be able to do one thing. Now I'm like, okay, my back having a good old time. And <laughs> doing my events, I, I wouldn't really call myself a racer. I'm a, a wonderful participant. I consider myself a very happy athlete back here in the back of the pack. But I'm moving. And what I, I do promote because, you know, I work in most of my patients, almost 85% of my patients are, have diabetes, right? So I tell them all the time, movement is medicine. So you know, I'm like, do what you can for as long as you can. So if that means you have to have hip surgery or knee surgery and you can't run anymore, then walk, hike, do yoga, do find something that speaks to you, but don't stop, right? So 
Um, I've actually had to practice that. I've started hiking more. Um, I do run because it is my first love. Um, do that. I'm still very much rehabbing. So, and I will be doing that at least for another year or so. So, in terms of what's next, you know, I am, like I said, watching my Ironman uh, tracker and cheering. I'm, I'm the best cheer squad out there. <laughs> so, I'm hoping to do more of that. Yeah, I think it helps to be a volunteer. It keeps you in the community, even though you might not be able to do things like before, but it, it connects you and makes you want to do that recovery, even though you might not be the way you were before, but to be able to race, it gives you some motivation versus being, say, depressed or so into your situation thinking, oh, maybe I better do that again. That negative self-talk that sometimes you get, I'm talking about me. I have negative self-talk. So it helps you kind of get that out of your mind, I find. <laughs> about connection, right? So, you know, we're connected through this sport. Now, whatever aspect we participate, we still gain some benefit from that. So my thing is show up. So I will be a Sherpa for a friend of mine's upcoming race. I'm excited about that. You know, I volunteer. But no, next year, I mean, I'm planning on continuing to run through the winter, um, which is something I can do. And then slowly work on each aspect of triathlon and then make a determination at that point of, okay, I, I'm pretty sure I can do maybe a series of sprint triathlons. The goal for me is to keep it fun. When you call yourself the happy athlete, what do you mean when you mean that? Because you mentioned that in your bio. So I, I am cheering people along on the course. I'm enjoying my own progress. Um, And it very much is about redefining success for yourself, right? You, I now have life before the accident. I have life after my accident. So now the only thing I can compare myself to is now my new self after my accident. I have metal. I don't know if people can see this, but I have, you know, metal and all this is, you know, metal, Right. So I have metal and nails in my arm. OK, trying to swim with metal and nails in your arm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole different game than, um, you know, when you were trying to work on the perfect stroke. OK, that will never happen for me. Right. So I now have to and I've talked to you know my swim coach and she's been wonderful and said she's definitely willing to work with me this winter to work on my best stroke. My, my best efficient stroke and really learning to just learn how to work with in, you know, the parameters and that I have at this point. So and modify things as I need. Part of my podcast is to have guests who overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line, which you've talked about one of your major obstacles um, being your crisis. Anything else that you want to mention as far as an obstacle that you had to overcome in order to make it to your finish line, whether it be running, racing, or just life in general? My biggest obstacle right now is the mental game of me getting back on the bike. Okay. Are you fearful when you get on the bike? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm terrified of the bike right now. And that's just something that physical healing comes before mental healing. And so I feel as I get physically stronger, I probably will gain more mental wellness around 
bike, but I am afraid. There are many factors to me being on the bike. So it's not just me riding on the bike and it being a wonderful day. I mean, even a week ago, I was out on my bike and I felt perfectly fine. I was doing well. And of course, almost the same thing happened to me. I literally had awful human on their site, on their cell phone, dog off a leash, on the bike trail, and the dog was coming towards me and other cyclists. And I felt defenseless, you know, and I had, you know, PTSD around that. There was nothing I could do, you know. And so I know that that is a mental block for me. It's real. I have the scars to prove it. (laughs) And the physical scars will heal before the mental scars will heal for me. So that's going to be hard for me. You know, I debated on, will I ever do a full triathlon? Um, and if I do, I actually am going to have to practice the course, the, the physical course, because I need to be able to see what that looks like for me. Is somebody scary in the woods with, you know, going to run out in front of my bike? <laughs> um, because I now have a real life experience. That is really where my obstacle, I never think that I, won't be able to do things because I literally had to go from, you know, I, I believe you shared that you lived alone after your surgery and how you had to get modify things to, I never think about what I can't do because I've seen what I can do. You know, I lived, I went through three consecutive surgeries alone during COVID and had to literally crawl around my house to get things done and do things with one arm for months and not be able to drop everything. You know, you know all the things you can do. So I use that and I focus on that to propel me forward. And I'm like, listen, you went from four months of being able to wait, make one pint of meals and call yourself up the steps and get dressed. And I worked the entire time when I was injured. So I think about those times and I use it to propel me forward. And so I don't really think about obstacles. I think about, okay, well, this is where you are. And just honoring that space and saying, you will, with time, move on beyond that. So I think time is my friend in this particular case. So I don't think I need to overcome it. I think I will just allow it to exist for now and then it will no longer exist with time. So if a present day Stacy could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? I would say accept where you are. And I say that because I've said that to other people and I've actually had to say that to myself. I've seen people beat themselves up on Facebook on, you know, trying to do a race and maybe the race didn't go so well and or they're having trouble getting, I would say activated because I don't think people in triathlon are not motivated. Okay. These people are highly motivated people. Really <laughs> highly motivated people do triathlon, right? So I think it's getting activated and sometimes we're really hard on ourselves. And I, I really just say, Hey, look, kind of accept where you are. This is where you are right now. And that doesn't mean that's where you have to stay. Yeah. Just be comfortable where you are right now and allow yourself to progress in your own time. 
I mean, I know for myself, I put a lot of pressure on myself, you know, when I was much younger, I was very competitive, you know, um, I'm not, <laughs> not anymore, <laughs> but the competition was never with anybody else. It was, it was with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and now I'm kind of like, you know, you have to accept I'm in my fifties and now I'm not, I'm not, you know, 20 something year old anymore, but that doesn't absolve me from taking good care of myself. Mm-hmm. You have to take better care of yourself now. Yes. But I accept that, you know, this vessel is what it is. This is the composition of it now. But I would extend myself more grace if I look back at my old self. (laughs) You know, I'm much more kinder to myself now than I was then. Um, But I would say, girl, it's going to be okay. So any last minute words of advice from my listeners? Pretty much what you just said, you know, enjoy the journey, have fun. Define your own success. Don't let anybody else define success. You know, if success means you do the training and you get to the start line, you decide that day is not your day, that's okay. You you still gain all the benefit from all the training that you do. You know, really enjoy yourself running, triathlon, endurance, even just general exercise. You're gaining benefit from Every day, not only from the physical aspect, but from the mental aspect as well. So, I mean, now that's the healthcare provider person talking around because really it's the general benefits that you get from movement is exponential. So really just that's what I would want my takeaway to be is enjoy all of it. Whether you just train and you never race, that's okay too. All right, you can still be part of the community and know that any aspect in which you want to participate is perfectly fine. So that's what I was going to say. Well, where can people find you if you want to be found? Facebook or do you still you used to write a blog? Do you still do your blog? I haven't blogged in a while. <laughs> I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I'm Stacy W on Instagram. I'm Coach Stacy W. That's my Instagram handle. Um, so folks can find me on there. They can write me on there, um, private message me on there. I'm on Facebook too, but not as much anymore. But yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and, and connect with me that way. I, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm probably more on there. Um, just because I'm writing more articles now on health disparities. I'm on the diversity and inclusion council at my healthcare organization. So I will be speaking more about amputations, pain management. And all types of health disparities in healthcare. And uh, like I said, that translates into other aspects as well, including endurance sport. So um, you can find me on, on uh, LinkedIn. It's my real life name, like as they say, in real life, IRL. <laughs> yeah, I'm one, I'm one there. And um, I'm happy to speak with people about those issues as well. Well, thank you for joining me. I just, I found after your accident and your whole attitude was just inspirational, um, particularly to me, because I find myself having this mental battle with good and the bad, like woe is me and, and not being grateful. And I found that you helped me, your spirit, you helped me in, in, in my recovery. So I just want to say thank you. And I wanted to share your story because I thought you were just so inspirational, just how you handled um, everything and just always smiling and always happy and always grateful. And I think that's where we need to be in life in general. Just make 
you know, a better person is to be grateful. Every in life, everyone has ups and downs. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your platform and all the guests you've had. They are wonderfully inspiring and I'm just happy to be a small part. Thank you for allowing me to share my story with your audience. Well, you're welcome. And thank you again as well. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email runitischeaperthantherapyolvomahalovebrown. Again, that's runitischeaperthantherapyomahalovebrown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. Oh, you are life. Oh, you are love. Thank you, and please tune in again.